He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. Welcome, this is Racing with Bruno, and this is a great show for you today. I've got, uh, we don't usually have breeding farms or stallion farms do anything with us, and I wanted to bring you a flavor of what it's like to be to have stallions, broodmares, and great horses. Who do we go to? You're going to find out in a minute. But first of all, let's talk about what's happening this weekend. We got the weekend uh, at Keeneland. Uh, and let me tell you, Wednesday and Thursday, it's been a little bit rough with the weather. And it's been a, a kind of Jekyll and Hyde on the track. On Wednesday, I thought you needed to have inside trips tipping out and winning on the main. Well, on Thursday at about 1130 noon here in Kentucky, I started hearing rumbling of of thunder and it came down in buckets. Now, I couldn't believe that because there was no rain that was forecast. All of a sudden, the track is completely wet, sealed at Keeneland. And all of a sudden, you, you saw almost the entire day horses winning four or five wide. Uh, the first race was won, I believe, uh, with uh, with a great trip right behind the leaders, sitting three wide, came outside and, and rolled on. And then the day went on that way with the last race um, being won by a horse on the turf named Militarist, who was uh, training very well for Carlo Vaccarezza, uh, uh, making a big move also on the turn. But that was on the turf. So you need to watch that tomorrow. We, there's supposed to be more rain tomorrow after 10 o'clock, 60% on the turf, uh, 60% of rain scheduled. So we need to see if they stay on the turf. I got a little ahead of me myself right there. So we need to keep an eye on that. Uh, uh, balancing out how that track is going to play is very important to Keeneland because that's how you kind of separate these large fields from what they can and cannot do. For example, I didn't like Paleo Flag today. Had a big work about a month ago, four gate works all together. I thought that she didn't quite move as, 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 as strongly as I thought she should on that track. Well, guess what? When it rained and made the track easy, uh, easier for her to handle, she's had foot problems in the past, and it made it really easy for her to run the kind of race. So a lot of the times it takes a lot of painstaking ideas and trying to uh, – a lot of painstaking work to try to piece together what's going to happen today. And when it rains at noon, you're screwed because all your thoughts that you put in for that day now change. So back to the drawing board. Our workouts reports have been really good. We have a ton of stuff here at Keeneland. We've got some information from Maryland. we got information from California. Uh, we've got a new guy in New York. So we've got a lot of different stuff. We've got a lot of packages for you. You can go to uh, racingwithbruno.com. We have a lot of packages lined up for you to sign up for Saratoga, which starts a week from uh, today. Tomorrow, uh, on Friday, starts Del Mar. So we all have Del Mar going, and we've got uh, Brian Lazarica. We've got the workouts at Del Mar. Uh, right now, we're, we're, we're waiting to get uh, some more additional works as Del Mar gets hot and all the horses get down there. So we've got a lot of things going on. We're balancing. We're juggling a lot of uh, baseballs right now because I love to see baseball come out again and play. Um, don't you? See some sports. Um, 
And uh, so we've got Delmar starting on Friday. We've got Keeneland through the weekend. We've got Saratoga on thir- on uh, next week. Uh, I can't wait. How about you? But this is a podcast that I've been waiting to do for a while, and I wanted to get over the the craziness of the of this pandemic and and talk about a farm, a stallion farm, a breeding farm that to me embodies the game. I've known B Way News since in the early 90s from California, uh, talking to him at Clocker's Corner. I remember when he had George Vogel as a trainer. I remember when he had Trishide. Um, and I used to remember people say to me, yeah, B-Way News is such a nice guy. God, I wish he could you know, get some luck in the game. And boy, did it turn around from him. He got with Mandela, eventually started Spendthrift Farm. Now he's got the help of Guys like Eric Gustafson, the president, Nick Toffee, the general manager. And there's one guy that when you walk in, he makes you feel like you're at home. And I got him on the phone right now. Mark Toothaker, the stallion sales manager, is with us to talk Spendthrift Farm and those great stallions they have. Mark, welcome. Hey, Bruno. Thanks so much. I tell you, I'm so thrilled to be able to visit with you and talk about Spendthrift and our stallions and I appreciate you uh, getting me on the show with you. Big fan. Well, let's let's first of all tell people who Mark Toothaker is. You're a native of Arkansas. You attend the Louisiana Tech for their equine program. You are a. You were in the military and you served in the army with the 10th Mountain Division in Fort Drum in New York. So thank you for your service. Uh, you're thank a veteran. You, Al. And thank you. Uh, and. In 2004, you moved to Kentucky. How did you get hooked up with B. Wayne News and, and Spendthrift? Well, it's a crazy story, Bruno. It's just very much lucky that, you know, things happen in your life that set you down a different course. And I had moved to uh, uh, Kentucky with my family. We were running a farm for Alan Poindexter, uh, Alan had boarded some horses with us in Arkansas and asked me one day if I bought a farm in Kentucky, would you come to, you know, move up there and run it? And of course we jumped at the opportunity and, you know, if you're going to be in this business, uh, Lexington is that shiny city on a hill, uh, that you know that you've got to be at if you're uh, going to be a serious player in the business. And so we did. And, and while we were there, uh, getting established, uh, we had bred a couple of mares over at Spencer before Mr. Hughes bought the farm and had gone out there and looked at some of the stallions and got to know Des Dempsey that was there. And, and uh, Des called me one day and he said, hey, he goes, the farm is closing. And he said, would you guys be interested in taking some of the, the borders? Uh, the farm is being bought by a gentleman named Wayne Hughes and He's not going to board any horses. He's just going to have the farm. It's going to be private to him. And, you know, you guys seem to do a good job. Would you be interested if we sent you some business? And we were like, well, yeah, absolutely. Please do. And, and so they did. Uh, and that started the relationship even further with Spencer. And then when Wayne actually took possession, uh, had a chance to go out and visit with him. 
Uh, he told me a little bit of his vision of what he wanted to do, that uh, he wanted to uh, start building a stallion division. Uh, I was had a small consignment uh, at the time, Liberty Farm, and uh, we were selling a few horses out there. And I told him, you know, I would sure love to sell some of your horses as time goes along. And we just had a handshake deal from that moment. And he just said, listen, you know, you help me hustle my stallions and I'll give you horses to sell. If you quit hustling my stallions, I'm going to quit giving you horses. Is that fair enough, son? And I said, Mr. Hughes, that's great. Uh, I'm going to go to work. And, and, uh, that's what we did. And, uh, I wound up teaming up with Tommy Easton a year or so later at legacy bloodstock. And, and during that whole time, you know, Wayne just stuck straight to it and, uh, would wherever I was at would send me horses to sell. And, uh, and I've hustled since, uh, that day, the Spencer stallions as the roster has grown from very few to 24 now. Well, it, what's interesting on your story, um, there, we, we, I did not know this until I did some homework. I'm going to take you back to 2000 and I want to say 2008. I'm at Hollywood Park and it's around June or maybe, yeah, late June. And there's this big gray filly working for Christopher Posh. Beautiful filly. And I remember she worked 113 as a two-year-old at Hollywood Park. And I was friendly with Chris. And uh, he, he said, that filly's running Saturday. And I found her. I was working for Today's Racing Digest. I had Black Letter Works for her. Loved her. Next morning, I'm crushed when she's scratched. I run into Chris at the track. And he says, ah, this morning I got to the track and she had her head was old bloodied. She had gone up, you know, in, in her stall and broke the light fixture and cut her head. And we had to stitch her up and Novocaine or so, you know, lidocaine or so she can't run. Okay. So about two weeks, three weeks later, we're opening week at Del Mar. I walk into the clocker booth and this filly was entered in a maiden special trained by Chris and I walk into the clocker booth and one of the clockers looks at me and says, how is this Montana horse from Darf Dorfer's barn going to lose today? I said, do you haven't seen the gray field posh? So you gotta be kidding me. It's a stakes horse. To make it long story short, Mark, you know where I'm going with this. We yeah. get beat by Turtle Creek Island, some 30-to-1 shot from Ron McAnally by a nose. She never went on to win another race. Your filly, you sold, start and bound, becomes one of the, one of the, uh, becomes the signature horse for Tappet, and, and Tappet has never looked back since. So we have a little bit, and actually that, that sale put Christopher Posh in a retirement mode, and he went off and enjoyed his life after beating cancer. So uh, tell me a little bit about start and bound. One of my favorite horses of all time. Well, an amazing, amazing filly. And it's a crazy deal of how we even got to sell her. I was out in uh, Springfield, Missouri, uh, looking at some yearlings out at Mr. Poindexter's. I'd been by uh, the farm of Robert Lowe's and looked at a few of theirs with Denny and was just really hustling. And my partner, Tommy, called me and he said, hey, he goes, uh, I got an idea for you. And I said, yeah, what? And he said, well, you know, there's some other folks out there, uh, 
Carolyn and Fletcher Gray. And why don't you give them a call and, and uh, run over there and they've got some yearlings at their place out there in that same neck of the woods. And, you know, this was first year for any foals by Taffet. And I want to say first year or very early in his career for Medallia Oro. And I went out there and, and of course that's what they had. They had a Colt by Medallia. They had uh, this filly by Taffet. Of course, no one knew, you know, what Taffet was going to be or anything like that. She was a very tall, narrow, uh, but real scopy filly, uh, frame to her. Uh, they were nice enough to let Tommy and I sell both of those horses for them. And, you know, I think the Medallia Bureau there, I don't know if it ever broke its maiden. It's one we sold for like 80 or 85,000 at the time. And then I believe we sold Stardom Bound for 50. And, you know, the same thing, you know, when you saw her run the first time, it was just, you know, you thought, man, you know, what could this filly be? And then to see her going and win the Breeders' Cup, you know, was amazing. And, we laugh a lot. You know, I've sold two two Breeders' Cup winners in my life, and both of them were grays. So if you ever see me selling a horse and it's a gray, uh, you know, Kip DeVille being the other one that we sold down at the face of Tipton sale when we were still in Arkansas. And, and uh, it that just goes to show you, though, on both of those horses that good horses can come from anywhere and that we raised Kip DeVille, even though he was an Oklahoma bred. We stood Kipling at the time at our farm in Arkansas, and, we fold eight eight mares in fold to him in Oklahoma and eight in Arkansas, trying to get get them in different state programs. And and uh, so you know that horse was raised in Lavaca, Arkansas, and and uh, Stardom Bound was raised in Springfield, Missouri. So you know good horses can come from anywhere. That's one lesson I've learned uh, being in this business for as long as I have. Being a proud spendthrift customer i think i've been coming to you guys for four or five years first of all i need to kind of have a foot cut off for getting into the breeding business but i love it but i love it um it's it it you gotta have you gotta have a set right to be able to handle it but uh what a fun thing to do especially when you have to go cha- choose your stallions and i love coming to spendthrift or going through your catalog can we talk well, first of all we got to talk about the big boy into mischief tell us oh, a story about whoa. how you guys get into mischief yes i mean tell me a little bit about him tell us something about him as a as an individual and and tell us a little bit about the story how he became such a, a phenomenal stallion well i mean bro, he's just you know lightning in a bottle and and uh just a, you know a horse that is a generational horse that you know really came from left field if you can say that about a horse that won a grade one at two but you know he won uh won a grade one at two on the synthetic uh out at hollywood park and uh, i know wayne and them had high hopes for him as a three-year-old and he had a foot issue and uh didn't get back to the races and until later in the year and ran on the undercard at the breeders cup and and uh, won that day and then came back in the malibu and the whole team at Spencer, you know, did not want to retire, uh, retire the horse, but Wayne wanted to, and he just dug in that, you know, he's trying to build a stallion operation. And, you know, everybody was like, listen, we've just got him good again. He's going to have a huge year next year if we leave him in training. And, and, uh, he, uh, he taught us all a lesson in in the value on the back end. And he has a saying that, uh, that if you can get them started and they do make it, you know, then that's one year 
of income on the back end of that stallion's career at such a bigger number than where you start them at. And he very much that's turned out to be true because when into mischief stands his last year, whatever year that is, you know, the stud fee is going to be, you know, tons higher than it was when he started out at, you know, 12, five, and then it, you know, dipped all the way down to 7,500 there at one time. So, you know, he's a horse that came in without a lot of fanfare. Uh, in the second year of his career, they started share the upside and, uh, you know, folks, there was a handful of folks that did share the upside and, and, uh, where they earned a lifetime breathing ride in the horse. And, you know, those folks just absolutely, you know, killed it from the, when they started yeah. running, you know, the first breeding right, a couple of people sold for 80,000. And, and by the time that the last person that held out, Gary Piper, uh, was the uh, last gentleman to sell his, that was the original share of the upside holder. He sold his, uh, for 550,000. Wow. So, uh, you know, just amazing that, you know, paying a couple of stud fees that they were able to do that. But, you know, not much fanfare. He had 42 foals in his first crop. Um, I sold one of the highest priced ones in a filly named Miss Mischief uh, for Mr. Poindexter. Uh, Brian Graves bought it, pinhooked it. Uh, Debbie Easter bought it for one of her clients. She went on and made about a half million dollars. Uh, was one of his first really good fillies. But out of that same crop also became, you know, Golden Sense and Vijack. And, uh, and so, you know, when you have a small crop of 42 foals and you have two in the Kentucky Derby, uh, plus another really good filly and sitting at the bar uh, that ran out almost 800,000, uh, he had several more stakes horses uh, as well. Besides that, you know, that got the ball rolling. Uh, people started paying attention. Uh, the mayor started picking up. I remember when we, we went to $10,000 and then it wasn't long after that, we were at 20 and 35 and, and then he just continued to climb the ladder. And, you know, this year, uh, we started out at 150,000 there where people wanted to book early at Saratoga last August. And, and, uh, as the season went along, uh, he was firmed up at 175 and, you know, just an amazing horse. It's tremendous mares. He's very fertile. He's a one jump stallion. And, you know, we hear it. I say a lot in this business, you know, that horse just has it. Well, that's what he passes on is the it. And I don't know what the it is, but I can tell you that they know how to find the wire. Uh, they're very good minded horses. They stay sound and, you know, they've been very, very durable and, and, uh, Boy, I'll tell you what, just long, short, turf, dirt, uh, they'll just run on anything. And he's just an amazing, amazing side, Bruno. Having been in California for a long time, Mark, I got to see a lot of these big horses train. I got to see the best ones. And Into Mischief, back over in uh, around October of 2007, I believe he had not started for Richard Mandela. I loved him. I got four to one first time out. I had all black letter works on him for today's racing digest at the time. And I thought he was the, the, the big horse. I thought going into his three-year-old season, he was going to be it. And I think, like you said, he did win. And, uh, uh, on breeders cup day, he won the, uh, I think it was the, the, Mal the, the, the was it the, the Damascus? Damascus. Yeah, yeah. He won a listed and then he ended up running second in the Malibu. 
two months later. And I always thought he was going to, you know, he was going to be end up being a great horse, you know, and, and I didn't get a chance to, to really make him a great or, or see him being a great horse and win the Kentucky Derby or anything like that. But what it's what what makes I, I know what I saw on the track with into mischief. What makes him and you just mentioned all those things, but you said there's there's an it there that you can't quantify about him. It's it, Bruno. They just you know it's it's every shape and size, and you know he they have a lot of them have a particular color, you know, and a lot of times you know, you walk out in a field, you can pick the end of mischiefs out. They have that kind of Harlan's holiday mouthy, yeah, yeah. you know, color to them. And, um, they just, you know, that's about the one trait that seems to be the same besides the ability to figure out a way to get to the wire first. But, uh, it just, you know, you get a horse like Vijack that was 17 hands tall, you get a horse like Vickers in trouble that could walk under by Jack. And, you know, both of those horses made it to the starting gate at, at the Derby. And, and it's just a, they just run. Uh, he's not a horse that we laugh about. That's going to win the halter contest. Uh, I remember I showed him one time, Brad Grady had, had pin hooked the Malibu moon real well. And he wanted to come out to the farm and, you know, Brad's had so much success. He can hook mean. Uh, he sold so many good horses since he hooked up with Bobby Dodd. And, and you know, he's a, he's a guy that his daughters and his children show cattle. They show pigs. I mean, they he's a guy <laughs> that, you know, understands the, the fair and, and winning a blue ribbon. And, and uh, he knows what a good-looking animal looks like, no matter what breed it is. And, you know, we showed him Malibu Moon, and, you know, this time into mischief was starting to really heat up, and we let him out there on the ring, and he almost thought we were kidding with him. And uh, he's laughed about that many times, that, you know, into mischief is an average-sized horse. Uh, he's a little bit plain-headed. He's a little over in his knees, and when he stands up on the show ring, you know, he buckles over a little bit in his knees when you show him and and so when people initially first came out to look at him to think about breeding a mare to him you know there was plenty of people that were naysayers and it took until they hit the track and started running for people to not care about any of that and you know the, the breeders in Kentucky are so smart and they're so good at what they do and and they know what sells at the sales and and they're so good at it that you know, as time went along and they had a chance to look at them out of the cells, they started bringing the bigger, scopier, leggier, you know, unbridled song mares, the bigger, scopier type mares to him. And, you know, that is uh, certainly put more leg under a lot of them. That's increased what they were bringing sale prices out of the sale as time has gone along. But really, any shape and size, you know, he's had just tremendous luck with distorted humor. You know, those line mares, it seems like any time you can add any 49er blood to him, uh, that's just been such a success. But, you know, he's gotten runners out of mares by a wide, wide range of broodmare sires. So, you know, it's a thrill to, you know, every year when people call with their mares to just see the quality of what he gets now and, and you know, way more requests than you can ever 
you know, fulfill and uh, to see how people have been rewarded, breeders out at the sales and, you know, high-fiving and hugging before the COVID and everybody's so excited. He He's changed the bank accounts on so many breeders in Kentucky that took a chance and bred to him as he was starting to climb the ladder and they just reaped the rewards. And, you know, that's been one of the funnest parts of my job is to, to get to be able to take that in and see their excitement and how excited they are. And, and, uh, you know, it's been life changing for some life changing for a guy like Gary Piper, that's got a small farm and, you know, just, tries to, you know, make a living at it and, and keep going. And, and, you know, he, for what he sold, I know he sold a weanling like for, you know, 250,000 there when he really got heated up. And then, you know, to be able to sell the progeny off of that lifetime breeding ride he earned, it's life changing for the guy. I mean, it's just, uh, in the mischief, it's just been so indescribable, so, so much fun for us. And the interesting part here, we're talking about into mischief. His mayor, Leslie's lady, Beholder. When intermissions was getting hot, all of a sudden here comes Beholder. How did that play into into B Wayne U's entire spendthrift farm uh you could say machine? Well, just you know, the the success of In the Mischief as a racehorse, because at the time when Beholder was bought, In the Mischief had not had any horses really you know, go stake a claim at the track yet. And so they basically offered the ability that in the mischief showed on the racetrack, uh, that had them look at the horse. I know they had some debate on Henny Hughes and, you know, do they want a Henny Hughes? And they kind of went back and forth on that, but their love for in the mischief and, and, his potential that they felt like to have been a derby horse and it just didn't, you know, didn't work out with the foot problem he had there as a three-year-old. Uh, but they knew he had the talent to be a derby horse. And so uh, when Beholder come along there as a yearling and Fred over at Clarkland, you know, brought her out there to the sale, then, you know, they jumped in and bought her. And what's amazing is, is, you know, they bought into mischief for 180,000 at the two-year-old sale and, they bought Beholder for 180000 at the yearling sale. So that was $360,000 invested into two horses that the rate of return is uh, would be amazing to try to figure out. I don't think there's enough zeros to cover that, is there? It'd be a lot, buddy. I mean, <laughs> in the mischief, it's going to generate probably $35 million this year himself. And, wow. And Beholder, you know. She's priceless, and, you know, we're so looking forward. I mean, uh, her first foal is going to run out there. As you know, QB1, yeah. uh, Richard's getting him ready. And, I mean, what we're hearing is, is knock on wood, if nothing goes wrong, you're going to see QB1 in the in the entry box uh, within the first week or two at Delmar. Now, let me ask you, QB1 was, uh, how much did he sell for? Well, he we kept him, so he's the first pole out okay. of the holder. He's the first one. And it was a second he's the one. First pole, and and so the second one is uh is a yearling we have at the farm right now by Curlin. Yes. And then Beholder has a weanling by Warfront. And we had been after the boss, obviously when you've got a mare like Beholder that you'd love for her to 
you know, be able to keep her to the house. But, you know, it's being a half to end the mischief. You can't breed her to end the mischief. And uh, so we were trying to twist his arm into doing, keeping her at home. And we uh, we were thrilled that, you know, we bred her to, to Bolt Doro this year. And Bolt's oh, a horse wow. that, you know, obviously you got to see Train out there. And, you know, a horse of his ability to win a couple of great ones, you know, as a two-year-old, uh, we're very excited. We've been out, in fact, this week looking at foals by Bolt, and I'm going to three farms tomorrow, and we're our team is out looking at all of his progeny right now. We couldn't be more excited, and we look so forward to next next winter when uh, Beholder hopefully will deliver a healthy Bolt foal. Now, what I wanted – you, you, this is a great segment. By the way, if you heard the little painting on the back and the little uh, wooing and everything, that's my little Siberian nine-month-old Asky. Every time we do a podcast, he has to make a cameo appearance in this whole uh, well, in, in, in this endeavor. Uh, I, would you have any? Uh, would you mind if I went through some of your stallions? Because I am a small breeder. Um, I can't afford to go to a Bolt de Oro or. Uh, uh, you know, or some of the, the, the ones that into mischief, I always like the little guys because I get to see them train. I get to see them do a lot of things. Can I ask you about a few of your stallions and you can tell us and oh, the fans love, are going to listen? Love for you too. All right. One of my favorite horses of all time for top Pletcher's barn was cold front. And the reason I loved cold front is this horse suffered a con- conjular fracture at parks. Um, as a, I want to say a late three-year-old. No, uh, he's my and I thought he was done. Next year at Saratoga, here he is breezing. Tell me about Cold Front as, as a stallion, but also just as an individual. Well, he's an absolutely an amazing individual. You know, he's a horse that cost you know, almost 600000 at the sales. And he uh, he's a horse that's a little over 16 hands. He's, he's a real dark bay. He's almost a black horse. Uh, he's gorgeous on the end of a shank to look at, uh, very well balanced. He's got a very intriguing thing in his pedigree that you haven't seen a whole lot as far as stallions. Uh, he's three by three to AP Indy. Uh, so a lot of our genetic gurus that love digging into the pedigrees and, and working on matings uh, are really excited about this horse and the opportunity that he affords breeders who did the share the upside on him this year. Uh, folks were able to, you know, breed to him for a chance to earn a lifetime breeding ride. And uh, we had a lot of people take us up on that, Bruno. And so we'll be very excited to see those next year. But, you know, he's a horse that he didn't have to uh, run at a s- specific track. He, he took his track with him. You know, he won in Dubai. Uh, he won out of the 14 hole at Oakland, which is extremely difficult to do uh, with that short run to the first turn. He, you know, didn't he, won he do it at Gulfstream, too? He won at Gulfstream. Yeah, he did yes, at Gulfstream, too, didn't he? Yeah. He, he did, and at Saratoga he won. And so he's a horse that won, you know, graded stakes at five different tracks and, and obviously, you know, traveling halfway around the world over in Dubai and, and so very intriguing horse. He's a horse that, you know, came back from, from an injury and, and uh, showed a lot of heart and showed a lot of ability. And, you know, we're very excited uh, 
to get those poles on the ground next year and see what they look. You know, we had flown up to Belmont and we were uh, had already had a deal in place for Matoli uh, with Bill Halibrot. We were trying to get all the strings tied up on him and be done. And and uh, we were in negotiations with uh, uh, the guys on Vino Rosso with Vinny and Mike Rapoli and and so we went out to Todd's barn and, and looked at uh, Colfront, looked at Vino Rosso, and, and we actually wound up, even though it was two different parties that owned each of those, uh, we wrapped both of those up basically at the same time. So uh, put the final tying of the strings up on Matoli and then acquired those two horses. And, you know, it, it just uh, couldn't have wound up being a uh, – uh, trifecta, better trifecta for us. So we're very, very excited. Well, I will be calling you tomorrow on um, on Cold Front. I've got a late mare, and I, I I I wanted to hear what you had to say. So right here on the show, I'm going to come to Cold Front uh, because I really I would love, love that one. Um, and 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 having seen him train and having seen him to do the things, he was so athletic. He was, I mean, he would have been, if he would have been, I think he debuted at Keeneland and he won at Keeneland and even paid a really good price at Keeneland first time out and loved him. I couldn't believe it. I said, why is this guy, this guy going to, I think he went off around five to one that day. Uh, but he, he was a beautiful horse. Um, now you also have horses like cross traffic. Um, uh, he was, uh, he won the, the Wheatney. Uh, Jaywalk was, was, was a zero Philly champion. Uh, uh, the one horse I probably everybody's screaming right now, wanting to hear about is Matoli. Can you tell us a little bit about Matoli? Well, Matoli is a, a great story. Uh, Bill and Corinne Halibrod are, are just salt of the earth people. Uh, we had acquired Cinco Charlie from them, uh, several years ago. Cinco's got his first group of two year olds to run this year. And, you know, we would, uh, look forward to those. Uh, being at the track this year and rooting for them. But Matoli was a funny deal. As, as I flew down uh, to Oakland for the Rebel, and I watched Magna Moon, who was a Malibu Moon, win that day and for Robert and Luana Lowe, some good friends of ours. And, and so we were very excited for that. And I came back down when he was going to run in the Arkansas Derby to watch him again because we were – very much at that point wanting to acquire Magna Moon and we're trying to put a deal together um, between the Rebel and the Arkansas Derby and we weren't able to get it done at that point but wanted to be down there wanted to root the horse on and watch it and Matoli ran the day before on Friday and I want to say this was obviously April of his three-year-old year and he won a listed stakes there on the card, and he ran 108 buyer. And the way he did it was breathtaking. I mean, it was, like, amazing. And when I came back to the farm, I told everyone, I said, we've got to have this horse. And they said, no, we, we've got to get Magna Moon uh, now that he's won the Arkansas Derby. And I said, I agree with that. But let me tell you, the horse we got to get is yeah. the holy. And the boys said, who is that? And I said, well, he's an Escondrea. And they're like, what? And I said, this horse, this horse is unbelievable. Well, 
he goes to the Preakness undercard on that terrible track that Justify won on that day, and he winds up popping a splint and broke a splint bone, and that sent him to the sideline. And but every time that I would talk to Bill or I would talk to Steve Asmus and I would ask, how is Matoli? And Steve would always say, please don't ask about that horse. I don't want to jinx him. Don't ask about that horse. <laughs> and uh, he goes, I'm so hopeful I can get him back to the races. And uh, so we had our eye on him. I really, really wanted the horse. And it's crazy the little twists and turns that, that happen. But in the interim of Matoli being hurt and going to the sideline, Bob Baffert called and said, got a horse that's kind of fallen through the cracks and he's a horse that you are, you guys need. He won the Met Mile. More spirit. He's in midway. You guys need to go take a look at him. He's not going to make it back to the races. Well, obviously he's an Escondale. And the price was right and there was no doing the deal. So we did the deal. We were very excited to bring more spirit to the farm. Have a Met Mile winner. But then this goes back to Matoli. Well, here comes Matoli back. And I'm like, guys, we've got to have Matoli. And Mr. Hughes is like, Mark, we've got an Escondrea. Escondrea <laughs> doesn't stand in Kentucky. He's done been shipped off. We're taking a chance on more spirit being a son of Escondrea. We don't need two of them. And I said, Wayne. <laughs> Please, I'm, I'm telling you, we've got to do this deal on Matoli. And he goes, people would think we're absolutely crazy to send two sons of a horse that doesn't stand here anymore. And I said, Wayne, they already think we're crazy at Spencer on all the deals we do and stuff. They, they already know we're crazy. And so after he won at Churchill on Derby Day and, and won the grade one, we just, all of us on our team were just begging, you know, Wayne to take a chance and let's let's get a deal done with Bill and Corinne. And and so here we are. We have two sons of Escondrea, two, <laughs> two Met Mile winners. And uh, very happy. You know, Matoli's a little over 16 hands. He's a real well-balanced horse. He's a great story in that he only sold for $20,000 as a yearling because he had a broke sesamoid behind. It scared wow. everybody to death. At the sale. Well, McDonald had eaten sales the horse. He was selling it out of his consignment for Hermitage, sending the horse to Dave McCathan. Dave broke it, loved it. Uh, it two-year-old sale. It breathed lots out. Bill, Bill and Corinne loved the horse, but he still didn't vet. But it took a guy like Bill. He did his homework. He talked to Dave's vet. You know, they figured the horse had been through all the rigors of getting ready for a two-year-old sale, and, you know, he'd be a horse worth taking a chance on. And, you know, I've had some people say, well, you know, he didn't run it, too. Well, the reason he didn't run it, too, was that Bill wanted to do right by him, and so he, he gave him some time out of that two-year-old sale, just really wanting to take care of him. And the horse certainly was tremendously fast and could have run it, too, but you know, he makes his appearance as a three-year-old, and, you know, the rest is history. But very, very one, fast horse. The one interesting part about Matoli is 
he's a Scandaria. He's out of an Indian Charlie mayor. And having been in California during the NXS with Bruce Jackson and Indian Charlie era with Bob Baffert, I looked at Matoli and he didn't look like an Iskandaria. To me, he looked all in excess. What's interesting is Iskandaria, I, I, when I looked at him, I didn't, and, and somebody asked me, he goes, I, I, you love Matoli, who's he by? I go, I gotta go look. And I remember looking, I go, Iskandaria, he doesn't look like Iskandaria. I looked at him again, I was on the Saratoga, on the, on, on, on the Whitney stand, and I'm looking at him, and I said, he's all in excess. And I don't know if you were around when NXS ran for Bruce Jackson. He had that look to him. And Indian Charlie was a little bit different. Indian Charlie was longer, uh, more leggier. And this is something that I do when I go look at horses. When you look at, at an Iskandaria like More Spirit, and then you look at Matoli, you wouldn't be able to tell, would you, that they're both from Iskandaria? No, no. They look nothing alike, you know. More spirits, this giant 16-3, big, tall, long, stretchy horse. And, you know, Matoli's more of a handmade horse, you know, a little over 16 hands and, you know, the big hip. And, and uh, you know, it certainly looks more like a sprinter where, you know, more spirit uh, was a bigger, scopier, stretchier horse. What a mind Matoli had on him. Um, does he have that in the barn? He does. I mean, just, you know, Bill and Corinne always talked about him, that you could do anything with him, that just such a great-minded horse. And I remember we asked Steve, you know, one time, we said, how far, you know, will this horse go? And he said, how far do you want him to go? <laughs> and we said, well, I mean, would you think about stretching him out? And he said, well, we could do it. But he said, I, I hate to change something when it's working. And you know, I know he had a lot of debate on whether to run in the sprint or run in the in the Breeders' Cup mile, but, you know, he had never been two turns. Or, and so, you know, they stuck to the sprint, and, you know, it all worked out perfectly the way it did. And uh, But but a very good-minded horse and, you know, fast horse. He's a horse that uh, Bill Hallibrock called and he said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I've had so many people tell me that, you know, they want to breed their quarter horse mare to him. And, you know, we had never bred any mares to quarter horses or done anything. And so we did a venture this year uh, with Ryan Robichaux out of Louisiana that is uh, one of the biggest quarter horse breeders in the country. And we actually collected Matoli and collected into mischief. And we made their semen available uh, to quarter horse breeders. And we actually bred about 60 mares each to each of them. And, uh, we don't know where that's going to go. Uh, but, uh, there was certainly a lot of interest in it and, you know, uh, something new to try and, and Wayne, he just, he's all for trying to do something thinking out of the box. And so we'll see if Matoli and in the mischief can, can sire some quarter horse runners as well as some, what, what hopefully Matoli will, will do it the way that In the Mischief has done with what he's done so far. Now, everybody, I can hear everybody screaming. What about Omaha Beach? <laughs> Tell us about Omaha Beach. How did that come about? And what a beautiful grand horse he is by Warfront. Um, tell us something from the inside. People love these stories, especially if you have one that, uh, that people can sink their teeth in. Well, it, it's it's all Richard. I mean, you know, Richard has has been our trainer. Richard 
is a guy that Hall of Famer, as good as there's ever been. And I went down for the Rebel when he won that day and went back down when he won the Arkansas Derby. And, and I had called Mr. Porter after the Rebel uh, to just inquire on the horse because Richard had told me down there, he goes, I'm telling you, Mark, he said, he may be the best colt that I've ever had. And I was taken back by that because it's a list as long as your arm of very good colts and geldings and that Richard has had over the years. And he's trained so many good horses. And for him to, to label Omaha beach at that point in his career, it's, he felt like the best one that he's ever had. Well, at that point, we decided with his looks, a bigger, scopier, stretchier war fund. He's 16-2. He's just magnificent. He has the female family. You just got to have it's as good as anything in the stallion book. And, and, you know, we went all in, as did several farms. And, you know, he was a very expensive horse, but we felt like he was the best three-year-old. We felt like he would win the Kentucky Derby. Uh, we couldn't have been any more excited. Richard could not have been any more excited. We watched him train over there all leading up to the Derby, and he put in one of the most magnificent works the Saturday before. And we all know what happened. And, you know, he entrapped an epiglottis. They, they tried and tried and tried to, to get it untrapped. Uh, and then when they couldn't, uh, there was some inflammation there from trying to mess with it. And, and then, you know, came the stark reality that, you know, he's going to have to be scratched from the Kentucky Derby. And we were all very sick, you know, but we've been through some tough stuff before, you know, obviously when you've got horses, tough stuff happens. And, but I'm going to tell you the hardest thing for us at Spentrift, and I know it was one of the hardest things for anybody that's a fan of Richard and Randy was to have that horse scratched when you felt like this horse was the absolute nuts for Richard and a guy with the career he's had. The only thing missing from his resume is a Kentucky Derby winner. And, and you were right there within just days of what we felt like was going to be a, uh, coronation for Omaha beach, uh, Still to this day, I mean, it just kills me for Richard uh, for him to be that close uh, and for it to not happen. But Richard, believing that this was the best colt he had, and, you know, we went through some trials and tribulations certainly along the way. And then, you know, to have to scratch right there before his last race in the Pegasus. And, you know, it was just tough luck, some tough luck. But, you know, he's still the most talented horse that you could ever hope to have. And, and he's got the pedigree and he's got the looks and he bred an incredible book of mares. We had over 600 requests for seasons for him this year. And, you know, we picked out the best 200 mares that we could for him and the best breeders in Kentucky and, and all over the country. And, uh, just, you know, couldn't be more excited about the chance this horse is going to get and um, look so forward to those foals next year. And, you know, he may not have won the Derby, but I think there's a Derby out there somewhere laying in the wings for a, a son of Omaha Beach one day.
Oh, absolutely. Uh, it sounds he uh, that work you were right. That was a phenomenal work he put together that day, and I was shocked for Richard. And I've known Richard a long time. Uh, he's been in California. I was in California the whole time, and he had great horses like uh, Siphon, Gentleman. Uh, I can go down the list. When he won three Breeders' Cup races in one one time, I want to say it was 2003 Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. He is by far one of my favorite trainers. Because when he's got a horse right, they run. And people don't remember, he also had Best Pal way back in the day uh, after Ian Jory had him for Golden Eagle Farm. But uh, I, I, really, uh, I really had one more question for you. And you actually have been a great guest because you lead right into it. On, on, on horses like, on stallions like Matoli, on stallions like Cold Front, on stallions like Into Mischief, or a stallion in, like... Omaha Beach. Can you tell us, the fan out there, the regular Joe racetracker, how do you put together the mares and, and outline a program for your stallion to give them the best opportunity to succeed? Well, I mean, Bruno, we, we've got the best breeders at Spencer. And, you know, this has been a process since, you know, Mr. Hughes bought the farm in 04 and you know, he is all about customer service, and you know, he's come up with so many programs to try to keep the breeders, you know, during 08 when we had the financial storm of keeping people in the business. He come up with the breed security, come up with shared upside, and and he he really, you know, has, has, has pounded the table with us that it's all about the breeder. If we, if we don't have a breeder, we don't have a business, and and so many breeders were lost in 08. Uh, farms went out of business. And he talks about all the time that, you know, it's we got to do what we can to keep them in the business because it's a lot easier to keep them in the business than go out and find new people, you know, to get in the business. And uh, so he's been a big, big advocate for that and trying to, to do that. But with that and the success that our stallions have had, uh, it's helped us tremendously because, you know, I don't want to tell Mr. Hughes this because he might want to cut my salary, but, you know, <laughs> the breeders, the breeders, the, the, a lot of times they're ringing my phone as much, if not more than I'm ringing theirs. And so that's, that's been a very much a blessing for a guy that's in sales and has a sales team is that, you know, when you're not sitting there having to call someone and beg them to breed one of your horses and you've got them calling you, you know, begging for a spot to one of your horses. I'm and, one of them. You know, I'm one of them. <laughs> that's been the case, you know, on horses like In the Mischief and Omaha and Vino Rosso and Matoli. And, and you know, you just go down the list there on, on our young horses we're so excited about. And so the breeders are the whole key. I mean, we, we just we can't thank them enough for their loyalty uh, coming back year after year, Bruno, uh, to support Spencer stallions. And, you know, that's, that's such a big, uh, a big help to us. And, and we, we try to market them. Uh, we try to price them at a price to where, you know, whether they're racing or whether they're going through the sales ring, uh, you know, that they feel like they're getting a very fair value. Uh, you know, we laugh about, into mischief, even though, you know, it's hard to say this on a horse that's 175,000 now, but 
you know, we've had breather after breather tell us, you know, you guys have mispriced that horse every year. You know, you've underpriced him every year. That's why he, he sells out so quickly. And, uh, but that's good. You know, we don't want the last dollar. Uh, we want our breeders to be able to make money. And as I spoke about earlier, you know, there's no bigger thrill for us than to see the excitement on their face when they win a race by one of our stallions or, that you see one of those yearlings or leanlings or, you know, walk out of the sales ring there at Keeneland or facing Tipton and, and it's brought a boatload of money for that breeder. And, and, you know, we share in that excitement. It's, uh, it's well, a thrill I can, for us. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, talking to you, Pat Biscat down in the office, I've, I've br- brought a few mares and, I would be remiss for not bringing up another stallion that I really loved to watch train, and it was a phenomenal athlete, Temple City. He's the forgotten guy, but yet he won two grade ones in 2019. I have a little officer, Leah Philly, that has got all the hopes of being a really good two-year-old for Temple City. She's training with Rudy Del Judas, who... And, and, and of all, and, and, and this is our connection between you and I, Mark, with all these horses. Rudy rode for you when you trained racehorses and won some races for you. Rudy, Rudy won my first race, Bruno, ever as a trainer. Oh. I've been an assistant, and when uh, when I got my uh, trainer's license, uh, Rudy rode my first winner, and it was named Steady Gun. And I'll never wow. forget it when the announcer said forty to come and. Steady gun and uh, <laughs> the thrill of winning my first race as a trainer. And Rudy was such a great guy. And, and uh, uh, you know, one of the, when I got on this side of the business, uh, one of the first people I ran into down at Ocala, and you be sure and tell him I said hello because he's a guy that, you know, I have such a fond feeling for and, and uh, such a big part of my getting started in the, in the horse business as a trainer and, and a uh, big, big fan of Rudy, but you know, Temple city just carrying on that Dynaforma line. He's a horse that was pulled at Spencer. He's a horse that, you know, raced for Mr. Hughes. He came back to stand. Uh, he's just been a, a, a very great success for us. He, you know, he's mostly going to get you a turf horse, but you know, he's gotten so many good runners. Uh, I had a, a stakes winner, this last fall that I bred by personally named Temple, uh, won $150,000 stake up at Aqueduct. But I, I, I'd be remiss okay. if I didn't always tell anybody my, my, my great Temple City story. And for any of you fans out there that, that want to get a kick out of, out of digging when you should have zagged, uh, I had bought a, a young mare in Fold of Tis Wonderful uh, out of the Keeneland sale and my good friend Bob Feld partnered with me on it, and we got an absolutely beautiful, his wonderful colt out in Martha Jane Mulholland. Liked it so much, she bought it as a suckling. We had bought the mare for $6,000, and we sold the suckling, still on the mare, for $30,000, and thought we had cut a fat hog and Bob was doing the share the upside on Temple City as I was, but I had another mare I could breed. Bob didn't have another mare, but just the one mare he and I had partnered on. So we bred our mare to Temple City, got pregnant. Uh, we had made a little score there on the baby that was in the belly, 
And so as fall rolled around, I'm a little short of money trying to kind of figure out how to keep everything going in the business on my little own personal broodmare band. Uh, thought in my head, you know, I made a little score on that horse, not a big deal, but you know, we made money. Don't ever turn down a profit. And so I let Bob for a couple of tacos and a burrito buy me out on that mare and the foal in the belly was Miss Temple City. <laughs> grade one winner, Maker's Mile, right? A multiple grade one winner. Beat the boys twice at Keeneland uh, in the Maker's Mark and the Shadwell. Uh, Graham Motion did a brilliant job with her training it. And, of course, Bob went on to sell a piece of it to several different partners, uh, including uh, gentlemen that owns Under Armour. Uh, just, you know, incredible incredible run that Bob and his family had with Miss Temple City. And, and you know, it, I was her biggest fan cheering for her, but, you know, that's my what-if story. You know, is, uh, I should have said I hope tight, he buys drinks and dinner when he goes out, right? Not near enough. He owes me, he owes <laughs> me a lot more dinners and drinks than what he's bought, Bob. So if you're listening, <laughs> you're listening, you owe me a bunch on that deal, to lay that oh. deal to, for me laying that in your lap. I will make sure that he gets that clip. I will make sure. And um, the one thing about Temple City was I, I loved about him. And this kind of, you could say it's a little commercial about him. He was an extremely athletic dynaformer. Carla Gaines had him. And he would run huge on the synthetic and on the turf going a mile and a half. But he had the ability of working 59 flat like it was nothing. And that's what brought me to Temple City was not only that pedigree, but that athleticism that came with that pedigree. If, if you, and obviously that has been true because the athleticism that these horses have shown, like Miss Temple City. Well, and Bolo, and the list goes on and on and on oh, of, yeah. of so many nice horses he's had. And, you know, a horse like Annals of Time that unfortunately is, has battled a bad suspensory and uh, but a horse that's been able to, you know, win a grade one at three, come back and win a grade one at five or six there for Chad Brown. And, you know, very talented horse. And uh, Temple City, I, I tell breeders, I said, folks, listen, if you're following a mayor in a state program and that state program is like New York or like Maryland or one of these programs that has turf racing, these temple cities, they're the way to go because you can absolutely make a boatload in breeders' money because they stay sound. I mean, look at Bolo. He's seven or eight years old. He's still running, eight, eight years old at least. And then, you know, Annals and Time, you know, stayed around until he was six or seven years old. They're going to make you a pile of money in breeders' money. Uh, they're probably not going to run it too, but if you'll be patient, and nobody has patience in this business, but if, if you be patient with them and, and get them to the races as a three-year-old, you're going to be rewarded. Uh, you know, he can get you a high-level grade one horse, so he's a horse that take advantage of him. Uh, he's, a, you know, one of the last great sons of Dynaformer out there, and, and we appreciate you breeding to him, and, uh, you know, I'm such a fan. I try to breed to him every year, and... Uh, Temple's just, he's been a, been such a fun horse for us. 
I can't believe how fast the time has gone. This has been an absolutely a fantastic conversation that I hope everybody's enjoyed out there. And the one thing that if people are more interested in finding out about bringing a mayor to Spendthrift, go to spendthriftfarm.com or they can uh, look at the number, give a call. If Did they call you directly if they were to bring a mayor to they uh, can call me directly. Yeah, my cell phone is 859-421-0151. They can call the farm at 859-294-0030. I've got Brian Lyle, Des Dempsey, and myself in the sales end of it. And, you know, any one of us three would be glad to take care of them, answer any questions. We know what any of these stallions are, what they throw, and we can kind of help get the best match on uh anybody's mares that they want to do and for your guys that play the races i'm gonna give one more shameless plug before we go is this year as you're watching the two-year-old races across the country keep an eye out when you see anything by dominus dominus is a son of smart strike of ours that this is his biggest crop of two-year-olds to run i want to say he's got close to a hundred of them in this crop and they're selling great at the two-year-old sales. He's a fantastic sire that has been had little fanfare, but this is a big crop off of his first crop success. And if you want to make a couple of dollars through the window this year, watch the dominances that you see show up at the races this year, and he will reward you. That is great. That's a great tip. I'm going to write that one down myself. Mark, it's been great, and you know what? Maybe next year when you get your new, your new, uh, your uh, your freshman stallions in, maybe we can do this again. I am a Spendthrift customer. I have been to Spendthrift. I've taken my mares there, and I can tell you from personal experience. And I'm not any way, shape, or form getting paid to do this. I have had nothing but great experiences going there and once this whole covid thing is over and people can come to the farm you've got to take a chance to go down there and go see them go see mark go see the stallions you will not be sorry mark toothaker say hello to b wayne use for me and to the whole staff thank you very much bruno thanks for having me it's been a blast i really want to thank mark toothaker from spendthrift farm for coming on board spending a good amount of time with us I love the stories. I hope you did, too. I, want, I, I love it when we can talk about things that don't get discussed or, or, or shown in mainstream media. And I really thank Mark for doing that. I want to thank you for taking the time and listening. Uh, we will have another one next week. I'm going to try to I've got a couple of different leads on a couple of different guests and that you're going to love. Great people. One of them is a trainer. You'll want to hear. This is Bruno saying let's go get them this weekend get more from bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com this has been the racing with bruno podcast